will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Leverage Addicts. I'm your host, Blandon, and today we're diving headfirst into the dynamic world of property developments. The biggest challenge right now, echoing through conversations with developers, with people who want to be developers, they got a bit of a piece of land, they got a bit of backyard that they want to sort of build more houses on, right? It revolves around two things. One is the valuations right? They have come down significantly. Costs have come up as well. So that means that margin is lower. So it comes down to the valuations. Secondly, is the high interest rate environment that we're in, right? These concerns are very valid. And today we're tackling them head on. Joining us is a remarkable guest who has returned. Again, he's a best-selling author, a seasoned developer, a former lawyer who's navigated these challenges with finesse. Please help me give a warm welcome to David Whitburn. Thanks, Blendon. Great to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for jumping on again and today to shed some light on the development side because I know this is your real expertise, right? You've just finished your 74 lot in Ranui and you've done really well. You know, you've showed us the PL. I was very, very impressed. Thank you. And it really takes somebody who has an eye for details to be able to execute even in this current market. And so I thought before we dive into some of the tips that you're going to give us, right, let's start with, you know, your journey into into property development, because that's not where you started with property investing. No, no, absolutely. My grandparents were property investors, so that's good. Had for a time uh, skipped a generation for uh, for me, but I was able to help my parents invest in property too. But uh, but it actually uh, happened in early 2002 where I was able to purchase my first uh, property which was fantastic and uh, got another uh, later that year and grew properties for a while there so yeah coming up 22 years of being a property investor so it's pretty exciting. So you got a bit of exposure from your grandparents. They were already like really well invested in the market. Were they just like mum, mum and dad uh, investor? No, mum, and, mum, mum and dad investor. Grandfather was a builder. Uh, yeah, grand, grand was a housemaker as many were in that uh, era. So it was great to have them and have my grandmother mentoring me for a little bit. I could uh, have my driver's license as her eyesight failed, get to go out to rent a property that she had kept and really? she'd be able to be their property manager, collect their rents, go and do some inspections and things like that. So that, that it was neat doing that from, yeah, we're back when I could get my driver's license at 15. I was yeah. stoked to be able to get my car and uh, yeah, take, take Grant out to trips like that. So that was lots of fun. But what got you to pay more attention to this property thing, right? Even though you're like, hey, grandma took me out to this property and, you know, I saw it get rent. I've been rent. working in accounting firm Deloitte in my uh, university holidays and able to file a few hundred, if not thousands of GST returns and income tax returns. Often many of them have been nil returns or super basic ones. And don't, don't worry, they were um, very heavily reviewed and scrutinized, of course, for anyone worried about that. But uh, no, it was uh, it got me thinking because being able to talk to them, some clients have built some tremendous wealth through property and property investment and a lot of successful business owners. 
and those are earning some really good money. We're putting their money into property investment. So it got me thinking, not too bad. It's something that you can see, feel and touch. It's great. There are lots of other investments that I think are fantastic and have their place as well. But I love property because it's got some ability to add value to it. And it got me thinking that perhaps the fundamental value driver is actually the land or the scarcity value of the land because that's something that you can add value to it and you can change it. And no matter how you try, how hard you try, it never seems to be that you can polish that gold bar to add that value to it. Owning shares equities, they can be fantastic and deliver some really good cash flow without the same time inputs. It's just you don't have the same control over the company, the more humble ownership levels that, that, that I think we're talking about. So that's where I think that the ability to get some leverage and put that into property, that can get you some stratospheric results. So your return on investment calcs or return on equity is even better from your capital deployed. That's where it gets really, really exciting. That's what's helped me take life and things to the next level. That's so good. So you were kind of like a woke uni student, right? Because most of us, right, the normal person, it's just like, hey, I go to uni, I want to get a job. But you're like already thinking about, you know what, how do I build wealth? How do I build a balance sheet? Exactly. Right. Woke in that sense rather than in the, in the <laughs> current sense, which in this uh, crazy world that we uh, live in. But We'll leave that for another conversation. That's another conversation. It's, it's the definition of that term there. But woke to, in the financial sense, yeah, yeah, woke to the fact that you need to have a better future. Will superannuation be there for us in the years ahead? Can we guarantee it? No, we can't. Will it be at 65? I mean, when it was put in, wasn't the average life expectancy something like 72? So now, you know, I've got three kids and I understand that their average life expectancy is somewhere in the sort of 91 to 93 year range. Yeah, is it fair to keep that uh, retirement yeah, gap as, as high as it is or should that age be somewhere in the 70s? So who knows what's going to happen to that? If it'll be there, if it'll be means tested, could be some changes there. But in any event, do you want to be reliant on government superannuation to provide for your lifestyle? Not me. No, no, I don't. And I don't think you should encourage that should be your aspiration there. If you want to have something above a subsistence level of living, you got to make some sacrifices and that means taking some risks and those risks are to deploy a bit of capital in an investment there that you think is going to be a winner for you. For me, that's property. So in terms of investing types there, I'm obese, morbidly obese in property. Yeah. So, I mean, take us back a little bit because, you know, for you to go from, okay, you know, you were doing GSD returns, thinking about properties, but now you're just doing developments. You just bought your, you know, new own occupied as well, right? Like there's a bit of a journey. Journey. You know, what were some turning points for you to be like, okay, you know what, I'm going to scale this property thing. I'm going to do bigger and bigger developments. Key things in the journey. I love the book from Andrew King and Lisa Dudson, Complete Guide to Residential Property Investment in New Zealand. I thought that was just brilliant. And that, that book inspired me to leave my job then as a solicitor at uh, law firm Russell McVeigh. Fantastic law firm. Got some amazing minds there. One of the very best, if not the best rated in the, in the country. But it wasn't for me. I needed to be more entrepreneurial than that. You can't sell your job. That's a major, major problem in it. Law firms may not know this and, and listeners may not know this, but you just cannot sell shares to non-lawyers in law firms there in New Zealand. So it really holds back a lot of fantastic lawyers from being those truly great business people. So that's why the lawyers can make some good money there, but you can't make great money. And that's why many of them, ones that want to take things to the next level, will leave and get involved in businesses and properties as well. And to get those results there that put me above those that would be at law firms, law firm partners and the like, it's property 
that does it because with property, your goal is to build up a portfolio that gets you passive cash flow. So you're making money while you sleep, irrespective of what you do if you get the systems and structures in place. That's where it's more of sort of a middle distance running kind of event, if not a marathon, that, and, but the catch is property development sprinting. And you've got to train your body into doing that because that's not for everybody. Unfortunately, a number of instances where it's the equivalent of tearing your Achilles or blowing a hamstring would happen with developers hurting themselves with the markets too. But by acquiring a bit of knowledge, having the right teams around you, that development's been able to be a great way to turbocharge wealth. Yes, it is trading stock. Yes, you've got to pay income tax and GST on it. So it's not very tax efficient at all. No, but it's a great way to make money by using leverage and transforming the nature of a property, which is quite exciting. And then you use the profits after taxes are paid into improving your buy and hold portfolio. So that's where they can work really, really well in tandem. And that's what's um, helped me take things to the next level. So I'm just trying to look at this opportunity that you saw, right? Like you left a very secure career of lawyers, right? Like you're at one of the top firms. That's a very secure job, right? Good income, right? It's like, you know, it's probably sometimes it's double the, the normal household income. What was it that you saw? What's, what's the opportunity that, you know what, I'm going to just go take the leap of faith and go like what it has to be calculated. Like it was, it was calculated. It was super easy for me. I made more money from just doing a, a property in a 10 week period for one and then having just two properties at the time that I left and a, and a third one about to be settled as well. I'd made more money from them in a fraction of the time like a tenth of the time. So if you're making more money from, from that, from the gain on doing our property and seeing the increases in value that you're getting and you're getting cash flow, passive cash, a few hundred bucks a week for really not doing terribly much apart from what reading a manager's statement and ask a question once in a while, it didn't make sense from a return on time perspective to do it. I didn't have the ego there that I must be a lawyer and, and that's no slight to those that are lawyers, including my sister and, and met numerous family members and, and, and friends as well. They're, they're absolutely fantastic. It's just that it's being a full-time lawyer wasn't my goal nor focus. It's a fantastic career. It's a fantastic profession to have in there. However, it doesn't give me the burning desire there to do it. I wanted to be an accommodation service provider. I think that's a great thing to do. There are a lot of people that need roofs over their heads. The government's tried to do it, but they have proven to themselves that they can't do it all themselves. So it's something that I feel proud to play a, a part of and getting my reward for doing that that the market gives me along the way. I think that's a great thing to do. It helps me in my quest to being financially independent, not a, uh, a servant of the state. I think that's a great way to be. Correct me if I'm wrong, David. So to let the audience know as well, I've known David for a while now. Yeah. And I've been very, very fortunate because David has taught me so much. This guy is amazing, amazing at a lot of oh, things. He's, he's, kind. he's He's got an accounting background. He's got a law degree. He went to do the, the development stuff, right? He went to subdivide the one house, put a minor dwelling, and then later on, he's like, okay, two, and then three. Maybe if you just walk us through, by the time you know you want to be a full-time property person, like what have you done already to sort of gain that insight? Because for a lot of people out there, I don't want them to have this misconception where like, okay, I know this property thing makes sense. I'm just going to quit my job and do it as well. Like you went through a bit of a process, you know, you've already built up the experience and you saw the result. Yeah. What did you have at that point? There's risk in uh, terminating your job unless you've got a, a plan to do it. And of course, you've got to talk with your, your, your finance team on that 
too because it's a lot harder to get loans when you're not uh, normal. That term's got a very interesting meaning, of course, and a broad one too. Just from a banking perspective, without a job, your income's deemed less secure. So that's something you need to be uh, conscious of. It's about spending time in it. It's something that you actually, if you've got a burning desire to do it, you're going to want to be a master of that. So you're going to want to know about, hey, what can I do with this land? What can I do? What can I make? So I'm always thinking about yields that I can get, ways of increasing the rent by just being more relevant, offering things that are more use. That might be as simple as a tenant that's a bit more security conscious might be worried about, oh no, I need to get a burger alarm system in there. They don't cost a fortune, but it might be another 20 bucks a week in rent. So is that a conversation worth having to do? Yeah, of course it is. It might be that, gee whiz, some of these old houses are pretty interesting. They've got a laundry that's just ridiculously oversized like three by three uh, meters could that not be a bedroom as opposed to and then could you squeeze that into the bathroom there yes oh now you've made a four bedroom house from a three bedroom so those are some things that I've done in my portfolio there that are actually remarkably easy to do yeah one thing that you'll notice that David has is he is a curious person I forgot to mention that he can give us full speech in Maori Ah, no not quite (laughs) probably sing a few hymns as well Maori hymns absolutely (laughs) absolutely yeah that's easy there yeah I I, I, I graduated uh, from my diploma in uh, Te Kanga Māori earlier this year from Te Wananga Te Aroa. Yeah, it was great. Well, I wanted to let the audience know, it's like, by what point, you know, how much property experience have you had before you, you know, went to the, do the full-time thing? Like, how many properties have you done by then? The full-time in property was probably 2005. And that's, yeah, probably done only seven deals by then. And yeah, just spent lots of time. And then, yeah, found that one a bit harder because of the difficulties and the transition to get finance that was the key thing that would hold it back but it only gets easier over time so that's the great thing it, yeah it's, it's been really good sailing since then but yes that that's the challenge for many to cross over and that does very much depend on the finance that's your climate at the time as well only because the rules back then when I did it were a little bit easier in terms of lower things that they didn't have loan to value ratios the bank control but that was a lot easier so you could have higher loan to value ratios in play as well interest rates were broadly similar but slightly cheaper back then to they are today after after 2022's record rises. Yeah. I love how you said like, oh, when you ran out of servicing, you quit your job. So you have, you're like, oh, you're not going to lend me any money anyway. So I'll just quit my job. <laughs> yeah. What's the plan then? You've got to transition out to doing property trading and using that. Just are you only as good as your next deal? How do you make that a regular recurrent income? You've got to have some strong nerve and some good skill to do that because yeah, otherwise you can get caught with stock and you, that burns through a big hole in your wallet if you keep it for Yeah, for the listeners out there as well, I've talked to several experienced property investors now. And, you know, one thing in common that they had a pivotal point was when they ran out of servicing, they started thinking about the game differently. They started looking for new answers and they understood the financing side a lot more when they finally say that. So, you know, if the bank is saying no, if Mortgage HQ, if your advisor is saying no, I'm celebrating for you because you ran out of servicing and now you need to force yourself to up level, right? You can't just take <laughs> yeah, no point yeah, 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 absolutely. Someone solved it, right? So that's really good. It's a good insight in terms of your background and sort of how you got into property investing. I thought because you've got so much experience in developments, we've got a lot of clients and, and audience listening that, you know, they have land that they can develop or they already have a project that 
that they're holding on to, or they're a developer already, maybe they could relate to your story and sort of like some of the tips and tricks you can you can offer them. And so right now, I, I wanted to just ask you for like about these tips that you've given me prior, right? Like, okay, it's like, well, I asked David the question, what should developers focus on right now, right? If they were developing, if they were getting into it, if they're already in it, what are the things that we should think about? And the first thing you told me was to really look at the numbers closely. Maybe you can explain that to us. It's all about the numbers when you're developing because you've got to think about what are you doing the development for? Is it a development to hold? In which case you're looking at your divestment phase isn't a sale. Your divestment phase is to return something that's going to give you some cash flow over time, uh, instantly and over time, and also uh, hopefully a rise in value as well. So it's about thinking what, what's the purpose of this for you, making sure that it works in with your financial structures and system. Because if you think that you're going to sell lots and lots of properties in this uh, market, you have to be a little bit aware that quite a bit of competition there. There's no shortage of, uh, of deals of new builds on the market, which just had the all-time high month in New Zealand history of CCC issuance. So there's a lot of stock that's uh, coming on the market there. So why is your stock better than anyone else's? If you can't answer that question, well, it's better because if X1Z straight the bat and then get some proof with other people agreeing with it by showing evidence of that, then you might have some things sitting on the market for a while unless you drop your price. So that's why it's important to do the numbers. Too many people kid themselves by putting in too high numbers in their sales feasibility models. They might put in $20,000 a square meter on apartments when realistically they shouldn't be getting over fifteen or 16000 a square metre. They might put in build rates that might have worked in 2021, but we've had a few rounds of construction price inflation since then. So unfortunately, that 2200 a square metre for your terraced house project, it might be closer to $3,000 per square metre plus just on your project, for example. And then what is this square metre rate price thing? It's pretty rough and mongrel, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. What does it include? Does it include a development contribution border infrastructure growth that charge there? So many people I come across, oh, what are they? I don't know have to pay them so they're not even modeled for and these are some huge costs that get done so there are some big swings by people not doing numbers seeing other people there that forget about holding costs just putting in bank rate for the land forgetting about the build rate but the bank covers it no you're paying for it it needs to get factored in there yes it might have an s curve or a style of cash flow that's attached to it because you don't draw down all of the money straight away but it still needs to be modeled there's still some construction interest doing it so by doing numbers that's your safety net it's about being accurate and modeling in your financial feasibility models, what returns are you likely to get as a developer? What's the sales likely to be or the valuation if you're going to keep it? Then take off a reasonable allocation for the land amount, the professional fees to uh, to get there to get you your consents, resource consents, building consents, engineering plan approvals, your civil construct or horizontal construction works. This can be for things like driveways, roads, earthworks, retaining walls, your utilities, your in terms of your fibre, your power, reticulation, your water mains and your drainage of your stormwater and wastewater. So numerous other components. It's, it's about making sure that you've got the right teams, the right professionals there that can help guide you in doing that. Might be as simple as getting a good project QS on board to help you do that. Might be to make sure that you just get decent reality on the numbers, talk to great agents in the area, registered values to do it. These are the ways that can help de-risk your project up front. And that's where, where you as a developer have to make the ultimate decision to go ahead with the project or not. But you've got to make sure that it's fundable. That's one of the key things to do it because whilst you can make a lot of money as a developer too unfortunately with leverage you can also lose a lot of money so by doing it in a safe way it's fantastic I've never lost money in a property deal I've completed over 600 projects I'm really really proud of that fact but yeah unfortunately I know that's not the same for everybody and I'd I'd love to see some of the others benefit from this too we've got huge demand for housing it's an exciting time with the net migrations 
statistic as high as they are. Well over 100,000 new Kiwis coming into the country this year. That's uh, going to ripple out into our rental prices, which it already is. There's some huge growth and it's going to ripple out onto house prices and there's this interesting and restrictive policies or surprise, which would be interest rates to continue to go up, widely predicted to stay the same in the short term. No, that's really good. So Doing I think numbers is critical, Blandon. Absolutely. Yeah, you always you always talk about numbers. I learned so much spreadsheet tricks um, from David. You know, like he's he's a bit of a whiz on that. And yeah, like if yeah, you're yeah. doing existing projects, new projects, or you've got something in the pipeline that's just revisiting, those numbers are so important. And I guess a lot of mom and dad investors they don't focus enough on the opportunity costs, right? And doing the numbers allow you to see it. So second thing that you did stress on a lot, right, is getting the right financing structure yeah what does that mean yeah, How do you yeah, go about absolutely. Uh, sometimes uh, you have to uh, actually borrow quite a bit of money. Why? Because it's going to be really expensive to build those terraced houses, apartments, whatever that it is that you might be building on these. It might be commercial properties that you're doing. It's great uh, that uh, that you've got a bit of your capital together. It's fantastic. But how are you going to fund the project? Only because it's all nice to think that everything's going to go to plan. You've got everything all perfect out there. But unfortunately, sometimes things don't go to plan. Sometimes Sometimes get hit by global pandemics and rampant construction price rises whilst being locked out there, and you've still got to keep things moving on. You, you know, you you did mention a story before that you experienced that same thing. Yeah, we had all, all of the uh, all seventy four lots, the plasterboard orders, the jib orders were cancelled. Yes, the building company were just doing what other building companies did and trying to bulk order because that's just uh, oh no, we'll run out. But unfortunately, because of the company starting to do it, it got a bit of a yeah yeah a snowball effect, and as a result, everyone did it, and that was a bit of a shame. I'm aware of others literally buying containers to stockpile plasterboard sheets inside this container, locked containers on sites for over a year. That's all right. These things happen. Very strange. But uh, yeah, all of them were cancelled as well. There was a particularly stressful time with COVID r- rules as well. So it's not easy, but that's why it's important to have a contingency as well. It's another, another thing I could speak uh, for many hours on, on just the numbers, but in this small, small segment there to just give some generic information, it's, it, it's just naive to not have a contingency fee. Things will go wrong. Your job as a professional developer is to try to defend that contingency. Don't spend it. But if you don't have a, contingent, a decent contingency fund in there, you're just kidding yourself. Things go, go wrong, including your numbers and spreadsheeting ability. So that's why you've got to have that safety buffer in there. So if you go back to sort of like the right financing structure, was there one time where you felt like there was a very good lesson for you that made you think, man, I'm so lucky that I didn't get punished for this. Or perhaps maybe the right financing structure was what made this deal work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, uh, both of them. Uh, absolutely. The, uh, the financing structure is a, is, a, is a crucial part of it because how are you going to put the equity on them there? What are you doing with your portfolio? For uh, for, for some, they, they, they put their own home on their uh, line and to try to get a lower rate. But sometimes it's about thinking about your legal structures, the protection for them. Do you have revolving credit uh, facilities in place? Are they secured over your own home, over your rental properties? Could you realize that this deal like to take two years? So maybe is it cheaper to get a two-year loan fixed, secured over that portion of land at X percent LVR than this, and then slice the construction loan over the top? So the lending structure is important to do that. Um, uh, that came to a head in 2021 when the interest rates um, were, were, were pretty low. I didn't realize how low they were. Um, very few people, including me, didn't have, uh, weren't expecting the interest 
interest rates to rise at um, record pace that they did in 2022. But yeah, I fixed a huge portion of debt at 2.99 percent in uh, sort of around May 2021. So for five years, five years fixed uh, under three percent—that's pretty good deal, right? So that was um, a part. Of, that was a, one of those key wins to answer your question in terms of uh, uh, um, uh, sort of allocating a knowledge of property cycles and interest rate cycles to do it, and a bit of luck, of course. Yeah. Uh, there, I didn't think they'd go that way as well. Uh, the catch would have been to to potentially take these, you know, one point nine nine percent for for a year or two years, things like that, or those mega yeah. deals. And, Shopping around pressing the banks quite hard for it there in these COVID panicked times, but then that would have popped up at a, at a nice high rate and that wouldn't have worked. So, so sometimes doing that instead of thinking, oh, what if it goes to two point four five percent or or, or even lower? It's uh, that's when you just know it's fun to be low. The numbers work. That's when it uh, made things a lot safer. So putting that in is great and sets me up for uh, oh, uh, for a lot longer anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely till, till mid twenty six. Yeah, I'm I'm very very fortunate as well, just because I shared with the audience as well. If I didn't lock in the two point nine nine for four years on uh, my development deal, like I don't know, I just I'd be selling at a loss. Could have been a bit more stressful to have. Absolutely. So no, no, the finance structure is just it's it's a crucial part. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, the, your property investment strategy is really held back uh, by your borrowing strategy. They they just go uh, hand in hand without uh, without um, uh, yeah them working together. Yeah, you'll have some real problems in growing that portfolio uh, and making it succeed. And if you've got a bad one, it can really dampen it and mean that you're wanting to sell up because it's just too stressful for you. That's so good. So it kind of leads into the third point that you've explained to me, right? Selling some stock because a lot of people get stuck in the mindset of, you know what, going to ride it out. Like the market's going to recover, right? They'd rather maybe just take the cash flow loss at the moment and not sell anything. Like what, what do you sort of say to that? Deeply dependent on on your circumstance, how much stress you could take if you're sleeping at night or not. But yeah, absolutely aware of some people have not been sleeping at night, and also aware of someone that yeah said that oh perhaps I should have listened to you, uh, uh, Dave, when you told me yeah late last year, 2022, that I should have sold up. I just didn't believe you that interest rates wouldn't go down. They'd gone up so quickly. Surely the market would crash, and surely there'd be a yeah, change of government. There was just yeah obvious uh, with the yeah yeah prime minister resigning shortly after after that in the wake of some bad publicity so that yeah, I guess it was pretty obvious in, in hindsight. But uh, yeah, new government forming. Yeah, well, not too sure. That's not too far away anyway. But in any event, the interest rates went up more rather than down, and that's uh, that to cost over eighty thousand dollars. There, that's been something that's a bit painful in terms of the service of the interest. But in addition, the market prices have actually come down just a little bit as well. So it's over a hundred grand um, swing for, for for that person, and that's that's a sad thing to have. It's it's never fun to sell at a loss, but sometimes you got to break to move forward as the great cold trick it said in the uh, movie Days of Thunder for those uh, older uh, listeners out there a Tom Cruise movie um, it, it's it's just uh, that's where I, I mean it sometimes that break to move forward is actually the best thing you can do because by putting your foot on the brakes you can reset it you can take away that stress it's not a perfect situation but it's the best situation you can do for yourself now so for those assistant developers with a bit of stock perhaps um, realize that hey maybe um, 2024 maybe it's it might not 
not have quite the most amazing uh, growth either because there is some concerns about uh, interest rates and will they actually come down? I can't tell you that, but I'm not too sure they're going to be coming down. Certainly won't be hitting 2.99% unless there's some absolute meltdown happening. There are some issues uh, overseas that are, that are uh, yeah, boiling up and uh, I think the um, bank interest margins are actually creeping up a little bit, if anything. So it's just that the property prices are at least likely to uh, to, to drop. That uh, I personally think they more like to go up, but only a little bit, and that's going to be mainly driven by migration, which I think the net migration that's the most closely correlated driver to house price growth over time. So that's where um, that's where selling up sometimes is a prudent strategy, but you've got to counterbalance that with the what if prices got lots and I miss out on that. That's the thing. If you can. Stomach uh, taking that risk. It, it is unfortunately a bit of a gamble. That's uh, that's something you've got to do. For for many people, it might be playing it safe instead of selling everything up. Sell down one or two, or just just sell down enough to take the edge off things and take the stress the stress off. That's often a really prudent thing to do at this current time. Yeah, that's good. And and so the fourth thing that you talked about was okay. You know, we can't sell stock. Perhaps it's not the right time. We're selling at a loss. Really think it's going to rebound. You could potentially leverage off JV partners. What does that look like if you were to? Yeah, get that's some another one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If um, instead of selling down stock, there might be hey, let's um, put a different time frame on this. Instead of having this interest cost to do, could I substitute that debt for equity? And that means bringing and capital from investors and you give them a share of the upside from it. That's a way to take some of the, the stress off, but share in the rewards for that too. That can be a great way to move things forward. That's commonly done with friends and family as well. That, that's uh, that's our way of doing it. And I think that can work really, really well too. So do consider that as another option okay. to explore. I've done joint ventures in the in the past when uh, not having capital to uh, to do projects. I think it's a, a, a good way to do it. You can share in the, uh, in the upside together. Uh, share in the benefits of the projects and, and look I haven't lost in any projects but if I were to lose it we could be a share in the downside too it depends on how you structure it but um, I, I think it's a, that's a good way to do it because it gets you access to doing uh, doing deals or bigger deals or better deals so so I, I think that's a, a really good way to do it I've, I've in the past done them and uh, found it a, a useful way to be able to run a development being the development manager or project manager myself because I know what I'm doing got a proven track record of, uh, of doing it I've got my capital deployed elsewhere at that time. So instead of not doing something, I do do something and then I can either structure deal packs, paying that investor a percentage return on their uh, cash along the way or otherwise I reduce my, my development management fees and, and lieu of them not charging interest. There's, there's a way of structuring it like that. And then agreeing on a uh, on a percentage of the profits here and uplift to making that development safe to uh, to put in my development team so I can help potentially even find the land. But more more usually, it's often just putting the development team in place so I can get the resource consents, building consents, engineering plan approvals, managing the sales to make sure that the takeout's done to make sure that there's a secure deal. That that's something that there that really really excites me. So that's something there that yeah yeah really looking forward to to doing a, a lot more of and understand that uh, some of um, some of your your client data. Base, uh, Blended could be interested in talking about, which is great. Something that, um, yeah, yeah, my colleague Frank Chin and I'd like to, yeah, yeah, do and, and help others to help grow them forwards if they don't have the time, inclination, skill set, or, or any one of the above to uh, to do this. Because doing development right can be just so lucrative and profitable. So um, I, I think by connecting with experience, you can actually get some transformative results that can only help you buy and hold portfolio. So I think it's a great thing to do and, and to do JVs partnerships with others. Mm, that's great. And the very last point you talk about. Right. You know, if you got a, you did your numbers, you get the financing structure right, you sell the optimum 
amount of stock. You get some JV partners and you still need a good team behind you. And that was the fifth point you told me. This is really important. What does this mean? How do we apply it? And uh, which team should we uh, go for? Teamwork <laughs> is, is huge in everything. You just cannot do everything in a development because otherwise, uh, what are you going to do? You're going to know all the planning rules and know how to do the surveying uh, work and being able to access the cadastral database. Uh, are you going to be able to do the, uh, the, the numbers, the valuation feasibility work? Are you going to be able to put the resource consent together with civil engineering drawings, the architectural uh, and urban designs, uh, scheme plans, the traffic engineering and, and all sorts of other uh, professional Puts for it from that. There's just simply too much to do, and too many different disciplines to be yet uh, to be good at. Because um, as a developer, you have to be an all rounder. So sometimes it's there, there'll be some gaps. So and uh, for many people, it's the sales gap. They're not helped by the market. It's pretty easy to make make money during a property boom. For it, but uh, in a downturn, uh, you actually need to really, really know what you're doing, be on top of it, exercise cost control and 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 um, and, and have your sales strategy right. You don't want to build too big. You know, some people build 180 square meter apartments in perhaps the mid or lower socioeconomic areas and they unfortunately lose money quite often these days. It's silly because they're overbuilding. It still costs quite a bit to build uh, all that uh, space in those ultra big rooms that you just don't get the reward in the market for, unfortunately. So that's where it's it's crucial to do it and your team to do it because unfortunately you might have a great architect or friend that it's an architect, but it's got to be a development architect, one that knows how to maximize the site yield and to do this. So by having uh, by connecting with experience and by having those that have been there, done that, Probably made, probably even made some mistakes and refined their plans, and and just that's in it every day. That's what makes the development safe. It means that you get some guided, uh, some guidance on the numbers, some crucial understanding of all the risks in development because there are numerous runs in it. But it's how to manage them, and when doing that, that's what makes it, it makes it exciting. Yeah, that's really good. So, so before we wrap up today's insightful discussion with David, some of you guys might be dying to know. Well, what is David wearing? This this shirt kind of looks like mine, but it doesn't say Morgan. In fact, it says Capital HQ. If you're a developer seeking advice, guidance, expertise, and professional insights, right, especially in the market like ours, then perhaps this new offering of Capital HQ might be a solution. And in a nutshell, before I get David to sort of give his view on what Capital HQ is, realistically, what we're focusing on is getting you guys the development funding that you need, right? If you guys are doing a development project, we can get the funding. But instead of just focusing on a transaction, you guys, but instead of just focusing on a transaction, it's a consultancy as well, because you're getting direct advice from successful developer. We don't have Frank on today. Frank is our other business partner. So David, I'm very, very fortunate that he decided, you know what, Blandon is someone that David could mentor. So, you know, I got to get to work alongside David. Oh, um, Blandon, <laughs> the, the, the feeling's mutual though. You, you, you're so talented there with your, your amazing spreadsheets there, uh, your, your skill in applying them, your network, the, 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 the awards you've got for a long time with the mortgage advisor, the, the, the year and the, and the like. It's a, it's a phenomenal track record that you've built. You've served so many thousands of people really well. So I'm proud to uh, to count you as my business partner in Capital HQ, I, I really am. I mean, hey, I'm not a mortgage broker. I, I, I totally get that or financial advisor, whatever the new words uh, are these days. But um, I want to empower developers uh, to, well, like, like our listeners and like yourself too, to 
take their portfolios to new levels to help add those layers of safety, adding those the professionalism, the context, the networks that uh, I've got as, as does my colleague Frank Chen, so we can actually help you to make informed decisions because it is unfortunately all about managing risk. And if when you manage risk well, that's when you get some really exciting returns, and that's what Capital HQ is about. It's about putting that twist on things there with the putting the uh, the development advisory skill, and by having uh, those that that, that have uh, are done um, several hundreds of developments successfully, it it gives you that uh, insurance there that that you need. Basically, it's 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 you getting immunity uh, against some of the adverse effects in the uh, in the marketplace. And we're trying to give some advice uh, that we believe is is, is tried, true, and tested there that um, it maximizes your chances of making a lot of money. And I want to help serve uh, serve you to assist with that. And, and Capital HQ is a fantastic vehicle for doing this. And I got to say, because here's the thing, right? If you guys think about it, David's finished a 74 lot. You know, why is he doing this? One thing that I said th- when I sat down with him, you know, even though like money is one thing, I think the second thing is that one thing we have in common is we have a heart for the average, you know, family who is looking to get ahead. And David truly speaks into that. David is someone who's really passionate about this because, you know, through his book, through his involvement with RPR, mentoring other uh, property investors, this is something that's important to him. But at the same time, he's looking for the developer that he could help scale because, you know, he has done the scaling himself. So, um, so yeah, folks, if you guys are sort of in that space thinking about development, really need someone to guide you. I think Capital HQ is someone that you guys can definitely reach out to have a chat with. Absolutely. Looking forward to meeting as many of you yeah, going through property development where the struggles or uh, looking for opportunities as possible. It'd be great to, great to reach out and catch up. Yep. So all you need to do if you guys want to talk, just email me, blandon at mhu.co.nz. Give me a brief on what is it that you're trying to achieve and And, you know, we can have a conversation about it. For today, if you have found value and you found something good insight, definitely just do one thing for me. And that is just to share this podcast with another person that might find it valuable. Um, As always, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, um, and follow us on Instagram. So again, I'd like to thank David. Uh, Well, actually, so before we go, David, anything that you want to say that I've missed? No, that's great. Just look forward to connecting with so many uh, of you wanting to embark on the wonderful journey of development or those perhaps uh, doing developments now that are having a bit of a struggle uh, with it. Really looking forward to meeting you in in the upcoming months. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Thanks, Blaine. Appreciate it. Talk to you guys again.